1 Kings chapter 18 this evening. Good to see you. Uh, good to be back at church tonight and uh, in, between, in between the snowy weather and uh, looking forward to a good time in the Word of God tonight. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit different this evening. This is, this is the night we're also going to take down the decorations uh, for uh, Christmas, all the Christmas decorations. We're going to do that tonight after the service. And so what I've, what I've decided to do tonight is we're going to keep this service brief. I'm going to be done uh, a little bit early tonight. And uh, I want you to uh, get your prayer list and carry it with you this evening. And uh, it's got several names on there and things that we need to be praying for. Uh, but our teenagers are going to come over and they're going to help us uh, take down all the Christmas decorations while the Awana is still going on. And that way we're not keeping people out too late tonight, not keeping the kids out late. And uh, we'll get all that stuff taken care of. Miss Christie is somewhere. I'm hoping she'll be in here in a little while uh, to direct us and all of those things. First uh, Kings chapter 18. And uh, you'll see on the screen tonight uh, the title of my message, Find Your Place at the Altar. And uh, tonight what I wanted to do really is just a, um, uh, just to kind of give a little bit of, uh, what's the word, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, promo I guess, of where we're going Sunday. Uh, if the Lord continues to lead my heart as He is, uh, we're just going to t- just give you a little taste of of that. And uh, so tonight, First Kings eighteen is a familiar passage of Scripture. I'm not going to preach the entire text. I'll say that for a different time. Um, but that's dealing with Elijah uh, standing before the king Ahab, the king of Israel, and uh, we'll just highlight a few things. Uh, of what took place in 1 Kings 17 and 18. Elijah, of course, is one of the great prophets of Israel. And uh, we read a lot about him in 1 Kings chapter, uh, in, in the book of 1 Kings. He first shows up in chapter 17. Uh, what takes place in chapter 18 is what he's probably most well known for. Uh, but uh, we're going to look at that tonight. Let's begin reading this evening in verse 17. And uh, we're just going to read uh, five verses on down to verse uh, 21 tonight. And so you read silently with me tonight as I read the word. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel. But thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, And gather the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Here's our focus, verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. 
And the people answered him, not a word. Not a word. Let's pray tonight. Father, as we get in your word tonight, we know how important it is for us. Lord, it's important that we always hold high uh, the place of your word in our life. And tonight, we're just looking at some things devotionally, practically tonight, that I believe will be a tremendous help to us as we now have entered into 2022. What's this year going to look like? I'm praying, Father, that you'll speak to our hearts, beginning even this evening, of what you want to do in each of us. Lord, we pray tonight for our children down the hall. Lord, they have already gotten started about 20 minutes ago. And uh, Lord, they're right in the middle of their lessons and, and all the things that they do in Awana. And we're thankful for our children. We're thankful for the numbers of volunteers who work with them every week. God bless them, minister through them, and may your word, Lord, just really just saturate our children's lives and set the path for them as they, as they live out the rest of their life. We pray, Father, for our teenagers tonight as BJ leads them in worship and Brady tonight is preaching the word of God to our teenagers. Lord, we pray that you'll mightily use them tonight and uh, Lord, just do a great work in our teenagers' life. Lord, we want to see you do great things in them. And as Lord, as they're planning out their life and they're, they're looking at what the will of God is for them, I pray, Lord, that tonight is just a step in that direction. So bless us and help us, Lord. There's many prayer needs that we have. We see that on our prayer list tonight. But we ask you, Lord, to meet with us this evening and help us, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen and amen. So we see here in verse 21 in our text tonight that Elijah is dealing with a problem. And there is a spiritual problem. And usually that's where the problem always goes back to. It's, it's rooted somewhere spiritually. There's a spiritual situation that is taking place. And so Elijah is dealing with that. He has Ahab. Ahab has come to him. And immediately Ahab wants to point the blame at the preacher. And the problem was not the preacher. The problem was the people's heart had gone away from God. And so as, as Ahab gathered all the people together, as he gathered the prophets together, the prophets of Baal, and he's gathered the prophets of the grove, and, and he's gathered the children of Israel around him, Elijah just deals directly with the matter. And he, he, he deals with it and says, How long are you going to walk this middle road? How long are you going to do this? You, at, at one time, you're, you're talking about God, and you're talking about how great God is, and your godly heritage, and how wonderful the Lord is. And then on another time, you're talking about this false god, Baal, and what he offers you, and what you're seeking in him. And, and so you're, you're always mixed up. You're, 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 you're trying to be part God and, and part world. You're, 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 your spiritual life is not what it needs to be. He says, how long are you going to do this? How long are you going to walk this middle road? 
He says, if, God, if, if, if the Lord God is God, then follow him. But if you think it's Baal, then just follow him. You make a decision right now. And then he just delivers the invitation. And the invitation is everybody just stand, sits there and everybody looks at him and nobody says a word and nobody moves. And so Elijah carries things a little bit further. The question tonight is this, how could a people with such a rich history of being blessed by God grow so apathetic in their spiritual life that when they're asked which God they would choose to follow, they just sat there and answered not a word. If God is speaking to us, then we need to make a decision. And too often in our spiritual life, we grow apathetic because we just don't want to make a decision. We just want to stay like we were when we first came. If you, if you're, if you, just, want to, if you just want to stay the same today, you're probably not even going to stay the same. You're probably going to step back a little bit. You need to make a decision of where you're wanting to go with the Lord. These people have a rich history. They go all the way back to the days of Abraham and, and Moses and, and uh, Joshua and all through the Bible of how God has richly blessed them, how he blessed the kingdom of David. But now they've gotten to a place where they just want to walk the middle road. And it's, it's created a spirit of apathy amongst their nation. For a number of years, the people had been led by a king who had done evil in the eyes of the Lord. It all began with Saul, and, and God was through with Saul, and so he gave the people a, a man after his own heart, the, the great King David. And after David, God was going to bless his son, Solomon. And he told Solomon, he says, I'm going to bless your kingdom as long as you follow me. And so he did at first. Solomon's heart, you remember his prayer, that he wanted a heart of wisdom that he could lead such a great people. But over the years, his heart was turned, and his heart was turned towards women, women who were godless, and women who just turned his heart away from God. And as a result of that, God was going to split Solomon's kingdom. And so Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And when Rehoboam became king, God split the kingdom of Israel. And some, the kingdom of Judah went with Rehoboam, and the kingdom of Israel went with Jeroboam. Jeroboam did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then you go on down the line, Nadab and Basha and Eli and Zimri and Omri, and now you get to King Ahab. All of them had a reputation that they did what is contrary to the word of God. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And over time, when you subject yourself to a culture that of godless opposition, it will eventually take its toll upon the people. And suddenly compromises are made. What was once a no-go suddenly is okay. And there becomes a... That's where apathy begins to settle in. And all of a sudden, some compromises are made. And, 
And, and what we used to say was, was godless and couldn't happen, suddenly we start to say, well, a little bit's okay, and, and things begin to change a little bit. And what was once spiritually significant now becomes a chore or routine at best. When you got saved, D.D., when you got saved, you just could not wait to get to church, you know? Going to church was a great thing, reading the Bible, learning it. You just couldn't get enough of it. But after a while, it becomes a chore. After a while, it just becomes, it becomes what we do. And if we're not careful, what happens is in our spirit, it just, it's, it's not as big as a deal as what it once was. And we get to a place where we start slipping back a little bit. We begin to make a few compromises here and there. And we just simply say, you know what, a little bit of this won't hurt. But we forget of the Egypt that we once was delivered from. And we suddenly have a desire to return. Spiritual apathy grows and it begins to quench the fire which once burned brightly eventually leading to apostasy itself. I don't know about you, but I know this. I need the fire. We need the fire, don't we? We, we don't need the fire to be quenched. We need the fire to burn bright. We need it, we, we need it to, when we get in the Word of God. We, you, you remember when the, the two disciples in uh, Emmaus when uh, Jesus walked with them and they didn't know who he was after his resurrection. And he traveled with them and after a while he's going to leave them, but they asked him to come with them a little further. And, and Jesus went with them and he began to show them from the scriptures of who he was. And suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized that it was Jesus Christ himself. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us when he was giving us the word of God. We need the fire, Thomas. Every time you get in the word of God, you, you need to be able to see Jesus. You need to be able to see him clearly. And it doesn't need to be in a place where we're walking and our heads are down and we're discouraged and we don't know what God is doing. We need the fire to burn. But too often, we've allowed it to just become a routine or a chore and, and, and we've allowed apathy to grow in us. It, it may not be like someone else who's completely out of church, but if we're not careful, we're on that road where we're going to be the next one out. We need the fire to burn brightly. We don't need to talk about the old days and the way things used to be and how good they were then. We need them to burn as bright today as they were back then. As a matter of fact, as, as the day is approaching, we need, to see, we need to see it and feel it burn brighter today. We need the fire to burn. Three years earlier, in 1 Kings 17, Elijah was sent with a message that there would be no rain. And now the Lord sends him to Ahab to announce the rain is coming. In chapter 17, the Lord used Elijah to deliver judgment upon the people of Israel. A drought set in. Things got dry. Have you ever been dry in your spiritual life? Don't ever want to go back there. Don't ever want to get back to that place where it's dry. 
For three years it's been dry and Ahab is, is out and they're looking for water. They're looking for something. And God sends his prophet and says, it's going to rain again. You go back to Ahab and tell him it's going to rain again. I'm going to send the rain. We need the rain. We don't need the drought. We need the rain. So, and so the Lord sends Elijah to Ahab. And that's where we pick up here in chapter 18. But before the fire would fall, or before the rain would come, something had to happen first. And I want you to look with me in chapter 18 and verse 30. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Before the great fire came down from heaven and burned up Elijah's sacrifice, before it dried up, licked up all of the water that he poured on the offering and in the trench around it, before the fire fell, Elijah had to repair the altar. Before before Elijah went up on Mount Carmel and prayed and the rain came down, Elijah had to repair the altar. And the problem, the problem with Israel, and if we're not careful, the problem with us is we get dry and we lose the fire a little bit because we've allowed our altar to become dismantled. There's some significances in the altar. First of all, with its presentation. In the Old Testament... The people of Israel, they brought their offering to the priest and they presented themselves before the Lord. It was a special time. It was an important time. It was a time where they, they brought their offering. We'll look at that in just a second. But it was a time that they presented themselves before God. Here am I, Lord. Here am I. I'm here to present myself to you. I'm not just here to give an offering and leave just like I was before. I'm coming because I recognize I need you. And then they bring their offering, which they would, would, would be a confession of their sin. It was an offering that was going to be given and the blood was going to be shed that was going to cover their sin until they presented the next offering. I'm thankful that today we don't have to do that anymore because of Jesus Christ, the once and for all offering for our sin. And then thirdly, when they came to the altar, it was a time of worship. It was a time where they praised God for accepting their offering. It was a time they praised the Lord for all that he was and all that he had done for them and all that he had promised for them in the days ahead. The term altar shows up 321 times in the Bible. The first time it shows up is in Genesis 8, verse 20, when Noah offered burnt offerings of every clean beast and every clean fowl that he had on the ark after the flood. And then in Genesis chapter 12 and throughout the book of Genesis, whenever, wherever Abraham led the, was, was led by the Lord... Every place that he went, he always built an altar there. 
Matthew Henry said, wherever a, whenever a, wherever a man pitches a tent, God should have an altar. When the children of Israel returned to Jerusalem in Ezra chapter 3 to rebuild the temple, the first thing they did was build an altar. Before Israel, remember, Israel at this point, they're just, they're just, walking, they're just walking right down the middle. Today, they're over here. Today, oh, today's church day, right? Tomorrow, we're going to be over here with Baal, and we're going to be with his prophets and his crowd. And then after a while, we'll go over here and get a little taste of this here. They just walk in the middle road. They don't know what they want to do. They just want to play both worlds. They needed the fire to fall. Before it would fall, Elijah had to rebuild the altar. When the children of... For us today, I just read that point. For us today, an altar doesn't have to be a place built of stone. We don't have to, Thomas, we don't have to gather up 12 stones and put them together. I built an altar one time at a church when I first was called to ministry. We had a place back there behind the church. It went into the woods a little bit. And I built a stone altar there. And a lot of times, a lot of us men would go back there around that altar and we would pray and we'd have men's prayer meeting back there. And I'm going to tell you something. It was some spiritual times. And we'd go back there and we'd pray for hours. God taught me a lot. We don't have to build an altar. Cody, you don't have to build an altar. You carry it wherever you go. Not out of stone. But you need to build an altar wherever you can meet with the Lord. Might be in a closet. Might be in the chair you're sitting in. Might be kneeling beside your bed. Might be in the family living room. I, I don't know where it's going to be. But it's a place where we can present ourselves to the Lord, confess our sins, and worship God. Our problem is we've allowed too many things to dismantle the altar. We need a place where we can get a hold of God. Amen. We need the fire to fall, and we need to experience the rain. What's your prayer life like? What's it like? What's it look like? What's your time, what's your time with the Lord? How much time do you spend praying for people to get saved? How much time do you spend praying for God to help you? How much time do we spend praying, asking God to help us be an influence in other people's life? That's why we, a lot of times, we're discouraged and we get down a little bit because we're not where we're supposed to be. We're trying to do things, Donald, in our own strength and our own power. In 1904, there was a missionary in India. His name was John Hyde. John Hyde's prayer life was so powerful that his nickname was, became Praying Hyde. That's what he was known for. He's just a prayer warrior. Ranks right up there with the George Mueller's of the world. He was a praying individual. Well, in 1904, he was speaking to a, a group of prayer partners. And 
he presented, he presented five questions to them that I want to very quickly just go over tonight. And uh, you'll see them on the screen. The first one is this. He asked his prayer group, Are you willing to pray for revival in your own life? Are you willing to pray for revival in your fellow workers? Are you willing to pray for revival in the church? Now for revival, he used the word awakening, which is the same thing. To be spiritually awakened. His first question was, are you willing to pray for revival in your own life? Gypsy Smith gave this illustration. Someone asked him, how can we have revival? He says, you go to your closet and take a piece of chalk. He says, you, you draw a circle on the floor and you get in that circle and you pray for God to send revival to everything in that circle and you don't get out of it until he does. You see, revival, we often think of a revival as a big group meeting. A revival is an individual meeting. A revival doesn't, it, it begins in one individual. And it might be ten individuals. But the only one that really matters, Christy, is you. Do you have revival, right? If you have revival, maybe it'll spill over on Steve, right? The main thing is, am I willing to pray that I have revival in my own heart? Am I willing to pray for God to give revival in my fellow laborers? Am I willing for God to give revival in my church? And it may not be the entire church, and it may not happen immediately, Liz, but I'm going to tell you something. If the fire is burning within me, then maybe some sparks will fall off on somebody else. May God help us to burn for him. Amen? Secondly, he asked this. Are you longing for greater power of the Holy Spirit? And are you convinced that you cannot go on without this power? Are you longing for greater power of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to tell you something. It's not the power of me just, it's not the power of my choices. Okay, I can make choices that gets me in a better situation. In a better culture, I can make choices that gets me away from the wrong crowd, the wrong influences. I can make those choices. But if there's going to be something that's really going to last in all of us, Sherry, it's going to have to be the Holy Spirit's power working within us. We've got to be in a place, and this is what John Hyde was saying. If you're, really, if, you're, if you're really going to see a closeness with God, we're going to see the fire burn and the rain of blessings fall, we have to be longing for a greater power of the Holy Spirit in each of us. And we have to be convinced that we cannot go on without this power. Because if we try to do it on our own, we find out just how weak we are, Caleb. We are weak. We are weak. None of us are strong enough. All of us are weak. We need the Spirit of God to enable us and help us. And you cannot be filled with self. You cannot be filled with the flesh. You cannot be filled with the world and be filled with the Holy Spirit.
There's not enough room within you. Number three, will you pray that you will not be ashamed of Jesus? Not be ashamed of Jesus. Meaning that wherever we are, we're not ashamed to talk about Christ and what Christ has done in our life. We're not, we're not over here with a bell crowd. <laughs> That's funny. That's a funny joke. It was nothing but filth. And then come over here and, and, now, and now we're going to talk about Jesus. Oh yeah, Jesus is good. Jesus is great. I want to know, am I going to be ashamed of Jesus when I'm over here in the bell crowd and I have an opportunity to be an influence or I'm going to just mix with them? And am I going to get to a church service and the preacher's going to preach and he's going to say, hey, which way are you going to go? And you just look at him and say, this is all just stuff to me. Will you pray that you'll not be ashamed of Jesus? Fourthly, do you believe that prayer is the great means for securing the spiritual revival? What is the purpose of prayer? What is the point of prayer? We think of it as just to uh, meet my material needs, my physical needs. That's because that's what most of our prayer requests are. It has to do with physical needs or material needs. What about the spiritual needs? Imagine going through life every day, Stephen, with a smile on your face because there's something stirred up within you because you have a closeness with God. And the only way you're going to have a closeness with God is you're going to spend time with Him in prayer. Will you talk to the Lord? Not just, it's not enough to pray over the food. We're going to, we're going to ask the blessing. What is that? We're going to say grace. God bless this high-carb, high-fat, high-fried food and let it be nourishment to my body. What, what am I praying for? Right? God bless this little Debbie. That may it give me long life. <laughs> that one got Mike stirred there. <laughs> hey, what are we praying for? What's our prayer life like? What's it going to be like? What's 2022 going to look like? Am I looking for physical and material blessing? Am I looking for a spiritual awakening in my life? I can't, I can't decide. I can't, I can't determine what you're going to do. I, I cannot determine that. And if I'm always looking at what you're doing, I drive myself crazy. Because I'm always concerned about everybody else's spiritual life. And as a pastor of over 300 people, it would drive myself crazy if I'm always looking at everybody's spiritual life, whether it's hot or whether it's down. I can't determine what the decisions you're going to make, but I can determine the decisions I'm going to make. And I cannot tell you, you need to build the altar. You need to repair the altar if I'm not going to build it in my own life. And that means there's got to be 
I've got to make a decision. Am I going to be ashamed of Jesus? Am I going to be seeking the spirit and the power of God? And I'm going to tell you something. When I stand behind the pulpit, may you see a fiery preacher. Lastly, will you set apart? This is his question. 1904, will you set apart one half hour each day to pray for this revival? One half hour. Who's got time for a half hour of prayer? When I spend three hours a day on social media. Right? We, we, we will make time for what is important to us. This is 1904, and he's just asking, hey, would you give up a half hour? They don't have television. They don't have internet. They don't have all the things that we use to take up our time, right? We're always complaining we don't have enough time. It's what, we, it's what, what is taking up our time. What's taking it up? What are we giving our time to? We've got, we've got as much time as John Howard had in 1904. Same 24 hours a day, right? Praying Hyde prayed for much more than 30 minutes a day. But he's, he's, he's not asking you to pray like he's praying. He says, hey, would you give up 30 minutes a day? I, I, I don't know, but I imagine it will change our prayer life. Now let me make this clear. I'm not saying pray for five minutes and wake up 25 minutes later. He's just asking a question. How, seri- how serious do you want spiritual revival? How serious do you want the... How bad do you want the fire? Wouldn't it have been cool to be there that day and hear Elijah pray, Lord... I'm asking you to send the fire down so that these people will know that I'm yours and that they'll know who you are. And at the end of that prayer, that fire came down and everybody was like, now that's God. Wouldn't that have been something? I'm closing with this thought tonight. Why does it have to be somebody else calling the fire down to stir you and I up? Why can't it be us calling the fire down? Why does it have to be the testimony of somebody else that brings us to tears And draws us close to God. Why can't it be our testimony? Why does it have to be God answering someone else's prayer? And revival coming down. Why can't it be my prayer? I think it would have been awesome to see that happen. But I think it would be greater... If when I say in Jesus' name, amen, that fire fell in my own life.
I'm telling you it can. I'm telling you that's the way God wants it. And we are a people who have been richly, greatly blessed by the God. He is God. He is God. Don't, don't be satisfied with being a member of the congregation said, Man, did you, see what, did you see what God did in his life? That was only God. Why don't you build your altar? Spend your time talking to the Lord. Asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit and not being satisfied with anything less. Ask God to let you be a, 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 a bold witness for your faith in Christ. And let you be the one that has a testimony of leading people to Jesus. Let's be the individual where the fire come down in our own life. And your friends have to look at you and say, wow, that was God, wasn't it? I don't even know him, but I recognize this. God just did something in your life. Let's take a few moments tonight, heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm not going to ask for any music tonight, but let's close this thing up tonight.